John chapter 8. I am continuing a series that we are probably going to go for a while. I'm calling it, whatever you want to say, put on the Lord Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus. And my plan that I believe has been given unto me is to take us through our identification, who we are in him. And that he's going to lead us. He's going to take us to a place of uh, what Annette was saying this morning. So powerful about authority, praying with authority, with confidence, with expectation. So we're going to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. And discover in such a way of who we are that we'll know what we can do. And we're going to begin healing the sick in with success. We're going to start praying for the sick, for the needy, and we're going to have success at it. So we're preparing here. The Lord's done all these years and all these things so that we could get to this place. And that's what I believe, we'll see, but that's what I believe he's asking us to do. In chapter 8 of John, we see a, we see a tremendous word here. Uh, in verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That separates the kingdom from everything else. He said, if you want to be a disciple, then you'll be a disciple of the word. Not of some man, not of some movement, but you'll be a disciple of the word. We'll continue the word. And then he tells us the key to our life, the key to the disciple's life. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Greek in that says that she shall absolutely know the truth. So it's not a casual Acknowledgement. Yeah, 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 I know that. That we'll absolutely know the truth and the word there in the Greek is to understand. Not just to be able to recite it or to be able to quote it, but to understand it. And the truth shall make you free. The, the uh, qualification for free there that the Lord Jesus used is to be as free as he is. So that would be absolute freedom. Not freer, not better off, not doing good, but as free as he is. So to know, to know, the word there to know, to understand, the word know there is to be one with freedom. To be one with freedom. I want you all to get this. This is, this is so important. To be one with freedom. Absolute dominion. One with freedom, not afraid, no fear of anything, no fear. We are fearless. No bondage. No, nothing hanging on us, nothing that we're hoping won't come back around or won't pop up and limit us. I speak to everybody on broadcast this morning and I speak healing into your bodies. And I speak understanding into your soul. 
that you will know the truth that set the church free and you'll be free indeed. So to know the truth of the way the Lord Jesus said is to be unwilling, listen, listen, to be unwilling to live apart from the truth. It's not a convenient truth, but it's, it's, it's your breath. You have to have breath. We, we, we can't go but just two minutes, three at the most, without breath. And so truth, we get so dependent on truth, it's so a part of who we are and what we live on. It's the breath that we live on. It's truth. And that if we are separated from truth, we cannot live. That we won't live less than the word. The word is truth. It is our breath. The word is our breath. And so when we take a breath of something that's not truth, we cease to live. We cease to flourish. We cease to be who we are. So we're in continual pursuit of the truth because to know the truth is to be free. And free is what Jesus made us. And he made us free, not with a magic wand as it were, or not as a, well, he died on the cross and therefore legally this and logistically that. He made us free by giving us the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's Jesus that's the truth. And we become so dependent and so necessarily umbilically tied to him that we cannot even buy, abide without truth. That, that's who we are. And so you can wander in and you can wander out and, and drink a little truth and mix it with a little of this and a little compromise and a little traditions of men and, and uh, uh, a lot of religion. And that's what people do. But then they don't know it. When you know it, you're dependent on it. You cannot live apart from it. So what was spoken this morning, what Melissa spoke, what Annette spoke, what Lynn spoke, what all of you would have spoke is, I just want to testify of the truth. It's everything. There's nothing else. Faith works by truth. Love works by truth. Everything works by truth. And apart from the truth, there is no life. There is no future. It's truth. So we're lovers of truth. So therefore, we can take a so-called, a so-called hard word. Remember the disciples in John 6 said, six, they said, uh, the Lord Jesus was talking about eating my body and drinking my blood. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can bear it? They said, this is a hard thing to hear. Paul said one time, he said, I have many things to share with you. Was it? But he said, the Lord Jesus, excuse me, not Paul. He said, I have many things to share with you, but you cannot bear it. You, you, you can't handle the truth. And that's where we're going is we're maturing. We're, we're leaning in so that we can handle more. We increase our capacity 
where we are like the money people in the banks. They, 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 don't, they teach you how to recognize counterfeit. But as you know, they never bring counterfeit in. They just have you handle the real. And then when counterfeit comes by, you instantly know this is not real. Well, that's what we're acclimating. We're acclimating to truth. We're acclimating to if it's brought in a strange way or a different way, we can discern it. We can sift it. We can measure it to see if it's truth before we'll let it come into our life and live by it. And the Lord Jesus talks about the traditions of men. He, Timothy, uh, excuse me, uh, Peter talks about having a form of godliness, uh, but denying the power. Pointing towards truth, but not really going there. So we don't make excuses. If we're not healed or if we're not flourishing, we don't just say, well, it's the devil or it's God that's not this or he's this or that. We don't, we don't go there. The truth says that he wishes that we would prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. As we love truth, the truth works. That's who we are. And that's why so many in Curry's church or in this one or anybody that's preaching the truth, there's a divider there. There's a, a, I'm not a lover of truth. I don't want to pay the price to be a lover of truth to live the life that truth brings. And so, here we go. We're passionate about the truth. And we don't want to drink anything that has poison in it. And so we discern things that aren't truth and we don't allow them in. We, 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 we stop it, even among ourselves. We, we, we call it out and say, that's, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. That's not what we have. We're willing to call it out of ourselves and even others so that we're all speaking the same thing in the same mind and the same judgment, as it says in Corinthians. Well, put on the Lord Jesus. It's kind of a euphemism because in the Old Testament, there was mantles like Elijah gave to Elisha, a mantle that you put on the anointing, you put on the power, you put on the, the call of God. We, we're, we're not in that age, but there is a, 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 an acquiescing to putting on the Lord Jesus. In other words, you can be with him, but not have him on or operating through you. This is who I'm with instead of that's, this is who's with me. We know that when we go to heaven or when we go to judgment, when any man goes to judgment, we have a kind of a scenario there. St. Peter's always at the gate and he's going to ask you things. We know that's not true, but I want to impound. I want to pound the, the reality of how it really is, not because of you, but because of who you'll meet. There's a lot of things that people believe this is how it works and it's traditions of men. 
But so we would say that the people say, well, if you die, you go instantly to judgment. And there's a lot of scenarios about what that looks like. But one of them, the, the traditions of men, is that we meet St. Peter and we talk with him about it. And whether he lets us in or not, he, he checks the role. But it's not even that complicated. It's not even. So a man will die. But when a man dies, when a woman dies, they've already asked themselves, why should the Lord let me in? It's a major question with all denominational religious people. How do you get into heaven? That's the main question. And I know several denominations. I have had friends that say you don't know until you die whether you do go in. And then there's that kind of leans into the 144,000 where grossly taken out of context, not even not even talking about us, not even talking about this side of the tribulation, but but totally misappropriated. But but implying that there's a defined amount of people, a number that can go in and they're they're always contending. To be one of however many it is that get to go over, that you can be right up to the line and not go over the line and, and go to hell, even though you tried and you meant to and all that. So a man will die only after he's genuinely asked himself, why would God let me into his heaven? Would you all agree with that, that most people have those thoughts? Even, even the man on his deathbed, the agnostic, the atheist that is that has cursed God on the deathbed if he's still breathing. He always reconsiders his faith. It says there is no God and there is no hell. You can rarely, if ever, find someone that says, I'm sure, as they're facing eternity. So the question is, always, I'm going somewhere with this, but the question is, will they go to heaven with God or they, will they go to hell without God? Are they just a dog that you put them in the ground and we're just like that? There's, it's over. You lived your life and then it's over. Or do you have an eternal life to go? And so the question then that religious people say is that God decides that when you die, you get go to the judgment and a judgment then would be, in most people's minds, like a courtroom with a judge. And he's deciding, like a jury would, but he decides. I've heard the evidence, and I've decided, and here is my decision. And he speaks to the bailiff, take him to jail or take him to get released. And so then you have to, you have to say, is there a trial of evidence for everybody that dies. Do they go before the judgment seat and God flips to his iPad and says, oh, you got a lot of stuff against you. I see you do have some good tries here and that you, you, you did say you were sorry for this and you, you did go to church there, but, but you got a lot of stuff against you. And, well, but, but you had a hard life. Does God consider that you had an unfair life? That, you know, I was raised by the hair of my head and, you know, I, a bunch of heathens and drug dealers and, and murderers and, you know, it, it shouldn't be the same. Or 
What if you're on an island and there was no missionary to tell you? What, what about that? And so there's all these considerations about a, a trial of some kind, a judgment of some kind. And so I think we should just set it straight this morning for our audience to talk about, are there any close calls where God had to say, you know, you really deserve to go to hell, but, but, but you took care of your mama and you helped a stranger one time that was going to, and so you're, I'm going to save you by mercy. Is there any of that that's going on? And we know the truth is there's no, there's no close calls. There's not even a judgment. That it's as evident that somebody, that the EMT reached down and he put it, puts his fingers in a, in a person's neck or on his wrist to determine if he's alive or not. It's that obvious and evident when we leave this earth, what happened. There's no judgment. There's no trial. There's no consideration. It's like you're dead or alive. If you're if you're born again, you're completely you look completely you are completely different than someone that is unregenerate, that's a sinner, that's never been changed. If any man be in Christ, he's never been changed. So it it's instant uh, from people that have passed away and they tell their story as they're going to heaven. If they come back, I mean, some people have come come back. I read Brother Hagin's little book, uh, I Went to Hell. Very interesting. He was not born again at this point, And it's a very interesting book. Uh, but some people, like Pastor West, his mother, she died and he brought her back to life. Well, if anybody can be brought back to life or raised from the dead, as it were, then they would have an experience. What did you see? What did you know? And she talked about coming out of her mouth and coming up into the ceiling and watching as the paramedics worked on her body and she was observing it all and she was in heaven. She, then she went to heaven and then Pastor Eric, he was down, it was in church. She, she just fell over in church and he's, he's pretty new in the Lord. I mean, he's just been in the ministry like one year. And he gets back there and gets down there and does what anybody probably would do. I call you back in the name of Jesus. And she was a little disappointed, she said later. She didn't want to go back. You think you would, but no, you, no, you don't want to. But anyway, there's those stories. So would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, thinking what I just shared about how there is no ambivalence, there's no hesitation, there's no waiting period where they put you in a holding tank or purgatory or or uh, paradise or something like that where where we're going to gather up all the facts about you. We're going to we're going to send the bailiff down in the basement and bring your case up and see what to do with you. No, it's you're either born again completely. Or you are are completely of the devil, your father, the devil. Second Corinthians chapter five. We're wanting to know the truth. You cannot raise people from the dead 
because you won't even know, you won't even think about it unless you know some things that are true until you're free. The reason people are not bold with their faith to lay hands on the sick or to invite them to church many, many times is because they feel guilty of their own sin. Why would I say you need to go to church, you old rat fink, you sinner you, when I'm not doing what I should be doing? And so we were none of us as bold as we should be because of condemnation. We're condemned. And we, we got to know the truth that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the truth that sets you free. And if you don't know that truth, then you're not free. Because you will mess up. We all mess up. We have, we are, we will. Less and less. But when you mess up and you're condemned, then you're off the grid for a while until you in your soul lose touch with the severity of what you've done and you think maybe God forgot it too, you won't be bold. We mess up. You got to deal with sin. We got to deal with our shortcomings. The word even says to confess your faults one to another. Oh my, who would do that? Well, we've had, we've been in the church age where when people did that, it went, it went all over the church. You told somebody your sins on Thursday and Sunday, they're all whispering and there he is. He's coming in, right? That's, he's the one. And we're like, we're all, we're, we, we don't, we're afraid of that. Chapter five. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Is this true? Is this true? Is this true? So true that you and I would believe it with such certainty that we never flinch or flitter about who we are. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Is that truth? You got to know that truth. You got to know that truth. Condemnation can never live. It can never visit. It can never even pass by the street where that you live, that I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things, the man that I was, has passed away been obliterated, annihilated, destroyed. That's what the word is. Been destroyed, no longer in existence. And behold, all things, everything has become new. I'm not that man I was. I did what they said I did, but I'm not who they say I am. You got to come to, you can't just say, yeah, 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 I know that. But then when you mess up, you're condemned. Well, then you don't know it. You're not free. We got to be free. There's some things we got to be free. You got to be free to say, I, it's, a, it's a truth. When I lay hands on the sick, recovery just happened. It happened. Well, what if? And how's this? And what, what about that? <laughs> no, the truth is, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. By his stripes, I was healed. You got to meditate that. You got to put that in until there's no room, no edge, no, no little space between you and the truth. It's completely one and the same. I am the healed, period. Well, what about that gimp you got? What about the gimpy leg you got? The, the, the whatever. I am the healed. By his stripes I was and I am. And that's the end of it. If you believe, if I believe that we're born again and going to heaven... No one could talk you out of that. Put the gun to your head. Blow me up because I'm going there. You cannot, you cannot hurt me. I'm just going to change forms. 
then we ought to get some other truth in that's just as powerful. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, born again, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The, uh, the NEB, New English, when anyone is united to Christ, so, so in Christ means I'm united. United. There is a new world. The old order has gone. That's truth. We, got, we have to become so, there's no hesitation. There's no room. There's no ambiguity. There's no reticence. That, that is truth. And I am a believer, a lover, and an adherent to truth. Therefore, that's who I am. Well, what about this you did? And what about those that you thought? And whatever. The truth is. The uh, translator says, if a man is in Christ, there is a new act of creation. So on your birthday, I mean the real first birthday, the birthday of your birth, there's a new creation. There's four in your household. Up, oh, up, nope, up. Nope. Little Johnny just got here a while ago. There's five in our house. There's a new creation. Well, that's how we have to think of it. We don't think, well, he's, he's little, so we were going to call him four and a quarter. Four and a half, you know, when he gets ten. No, he, he's full. He's a new creation. He's an addition to the family. Well, that's what I am at the new birth. The, the, the deaf says a true Christian is not, this is it, is not merely a man altered, but a man remade. I am remade. Say it with me. I am remade. I've been born again so long, like most of y'all. I don't even remember the old man. The Labak, Labak, Laubak, whatever it is. For if a man is in Christ, he is created anew. The man he was passed away. And behold, a new man has been created. So we go back to the difference. I, I know this is foundation. I, please do not be offended that we're going over foundation that 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 we're saying this is a football that's what coach Bryant did one time and they go yeah really coach but apparently they didn't know it so the difference between Christianity and other so-called faith religions or whatever you call it faith-based religions is that we are the only one that are filled with the same nature as the one that we adore and worship. We're the only ones. Every other so-called faith-based religion, they, they are called followers. They're called servants. They're called devotees. If you work yourself up in their cult, you're called a priest. Or if you're... If you're an infidel, so to speak, you're unworthy. But that's who you are. That's the only slots that you can fall in to these religions because the God is over here and you're over here and your whole life is trying to get closer or in the presence of that God and have some sort of favor or some sort of benefit. He'll bless our harvest. He'll, he'll, we'll have lots of children and all that. But Christians... We are not called adherents or followers or priests or whatever. We're called sons. We're called heirs. 
We're called joint heirs with him. We're, we're, we're called partakers of his divine nature. That's who we are. That's, that, there's no other system, as it were. There's no other line of thinking that's anywhere close to that. Their God is like the Greek gods, Zeus and Apollo and whatever them, them boys were, Thor. Yeah. You got to please them. You go into these places where the Buddhists are in business and they got little fat boy in the corner. And they got grapes and bananas. I, I don't want to mock them, but my life is worth more than that. Putting a banana on the floor. Matter of fact, I've never seen any teeth marks in any of those bananas. But as great as the chasm is, the transition between them and us, most Christians cannot explain the new birth. They cannot explain what happened to them when they got saved. Their only summation, their only distillation of all that's going on as a Christian is, I'm forgiven. They do know that I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven. That's all they know. They don't know what else happened. They cannot explain the transition from sinner to saint. Therefore, they go back and revert to the, the, the demon gods that I was just referencing and say, I hope I've done enough that God is pleased with me. I hope that when I go to heaven that I can get over the line, whatever that line is. And then they'll say things like trying to appease their so-called God in heaven. I don't want to live in a mansion, Lord. If, in other words, if I'm on the line and you're going mansion or hell, Lord, I'll take a little cabin over on the other side. Yeah, have you ever heard those songs? Take a little cabin. We, 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 don't, we, we don't mind suffering. Just, just let me get over the line. And so it has everything to do with works. And so these so-called Christians are worldly minded. They're not spiritually minded. They're worldly minded. And they have the same exact, did you hear me? The same exact lifestyle and the same benefits to their faith as those that have no faith. The world. They are worldly minded. Not spiritually minded. They are worldly minded. They, they, would, they would cheat on a business deal. They would, they would lie on their mileage and their income tax. They would drive 100 and tell the officer, no, no, I had my seatbelt on. I was going 60 and, and just straight faced a, a Christian, a born again person. And so they, they experience life at the same measure as those that are outside the family that aren't even born again. Turn with me to John chapter five, please. I, please bear with me as I go through these basic things. And that we touch every facet of the most important thing that's ever happened to you. Because unless you know the truth, not just have heard it, not acquainted with it, not uh, 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 somewhat aware of it, 
but you know enough that anybody that came in your life, you could get them born again and, and, and they'd be accurately saved and they'd have a, a, a wonderful life. John chapter five, look what it says. Verse 24, verily, verily, when the Lord says verily, verily, it's kind of like he's putting big quotes around it and putting it in bold text. He's saying this is important. I say unto you, here it comes. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Everlasting life. Well, that means long time, doesn't it? Or longer than you've ever heard of. And so it gets translated, not translated, but it gets, uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, paraphrased. This, that this means heaven. And therefore, the benefits of being a Christian start when you quit being an earthling or a world person or alive on the earth. You have to die to get to the benefits. But what he said was, and the Lord Jesus said it, he that believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, hell, separation, but is passed from death unto life. The word death there in the Greek is the word thanatos. Y'all remember Pastor Buzzy talking about thanatos. And the word for life is the word zoe. So as you pass from thanatos into life, but it doesn't say that, that, that there's no life on the earth. He just said you pass from death wherever you are unto life. Well, you can't, you can't make this transition in heaven. You have to make it on the earth. You can't say, you know, when I see heaven, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. You have to say it now. Uh, John 10, 10, you're right there. Slip over to 10. Let's, let's just nail this down because it's the truth that will set you free. And if you ever deal with condemnation, and we all do, we all have. Maybe you don't deal with it anymore. Glory to God. You, you deal with sin. It doesn't mean that we don't have it. We don't say we never mess up. We just say we know how to fix it. That's from knowing the truth. John 10, 10, he said, I am the thief cometh. The thief cometh not, but except for this, but to steal, kill and destroy. The word steal there is the word embezzle. The word uh, kill is the word to butcher, to murder violently. Just in case you think the devil is just going to slip you a, a little uh, 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 drug that cyanide. He's going to slip you a little cyanide and you're going to pass off to sleep. No, his design is to butcher, to murder violently. And then the word destroy. Destroy, the word there means in the Greek to render useless. So he wants to take your life and make you of none effect. Where, where you're living as a Christian, but nobody pays attention to you. If anything, they mock you because you claim to be what they say is not even as good as what they're living. Ah, oh, yeah, there's Johnny. Uh, he's, he's a Christian, but I'm, 
I live a better life than he does. I leave the bar before he does. And then he said, I am come. Why did the Lord come? He tells it right here. I am come. Why did he come? What was the reason Jesus came? He said, I'll tell you. I am come that they might have life. The word there is that word zoe. I have come that they might have life and not just have it like it's resident, but it's reticent. It's just existing, but have it till it overflows. It's a it's a gushing life. It's not a a, a pool life that's just sitting there like a bathtub full of water or a sink or a lake. But it's gushing. It's the rapids. It's the it's the uh, effluent kind of life. It, it overflows. It's more than you can ignore. I have come that they might have life and have it to the overflow, the abundant life. So the vines calls this Zoe life. Why Jesus came. He said, I've, I came to bring you life. Well, Lord, I thought you came to forgive sin. I'm telling you, that's what they all believe. I've been listening. I've been looking up and listening to pastors, preachers, or whatever they are, talk about. I've been looking at books. You, you, you read the Statement of Faith, the Baptist Statement of Faith, or the Methodist Statement of Faith, or whatever. And, and they say, we've been forgiven. Jesus came to forgive us. The only problem with is that if you're forgiven but you still have that old sin nature, guess what you're going to have to have in the morning? You're going to have to be forgiven again and again and again. You, it, it doesn't change you. It just fixes the mess that you made. But he didn't say that. He didn't say, I've come to forgive you of your sin. He said, I've come to bring you life. The word life in the vine says eternal life is life in the absolute sense. Say it with me absolute sense. In other words, it's pure life. There is no death. There is no thanatos. There is no, there's no darkness. There's no emptiness. It's life in the purest sense. It's life as God lives it. What makes God God? Zoe. And he said, I want to make you my sons. Well, all of us have can trace or your folks can trace you, you to your parents. Yeah, she's got his eyes. She's got his ears or whatever. They imparted. Well, the father imparted. Well, what did he impart? He imparted his life. So we have the same life as he does. That's what he imparted. A father, a mother imparts their DNA, as it were, their their, their issue of life. The, uh, Zoe is the actual possession. It's what makes you born again is that life. It's not an act of forgiveness. Now, we always have to go back and we'll do that just for a moment to say that he can't bring you life without forgiving sin. So forgiving of sin is in the process, isn't it? Because if you're unforgiven, he, there's nowhere to put that life. So he forgives us of our sin, but that's not why he came. 
because that's not a complete word. Did you know that you, you Pamela, you Rebecca, you Annette, you Barry are known in every realm, the unseen realm. There's people in town that don't know you, but in the unseen realm where there's millions and millions of demons and millions more angels, you are completely and absolutely known in that realm. Just like you would be in the military and you would have, my father was in the military and he had all of his shirts had stripes on the side. And by counting the stripes, you knew what rank he was and you knew whether to, I don't know if they saluted. He, he was an NCO, a non-commissioned officer. I don't know, but they, they know that. Well, we have stripes and we are known. So back to the trial that we're not going to have to face. What, what do we bring into the so-called courtroom if we're going to go through a trial and going to have God decide based on your pros and your cons, the good angel, the bad angel, or the, the bad devil and the good angel working out this solution of your life. The life is over. You're through. Now something's got, we got to deal with you. We got to do something with you. We're going to send you to hell or we're going to send you to heaven. But there's no deliberation of any kind, is there? It's decided. Which then makes it unfair, it seems, that a rank sinner, an atheist, is on his deathbed and someone comes in and said, and this is what happened to Pastor Avery's father, comes in and, and presents the plan of salvation to him. And he says yes. And he's been a ringtail tutor. I, I'm not, I, I didn't know him, but that's what Pastor says. He was a roughie. Uh, he had been in the military. He was in a lot of pain, saw a lot of terrible things in, in World War II. And so he was an alcoholic. And when he would get drunk, he would be mean. Y'all know about that. So he just, was, just had a terrible life and was mean to people, according to his testimony. But he got born again. Pastor Avery went in there, had been believing years for him to get born again, but couldn't talk to him. He wouldn't listen. But one day he did, and he got born again, and he completely changed. He didn't live long, but he completely changed. That's what happens on the outside when you get changed on the inside. So when we're in that judgment or when we leave the earth, our body is not a factor. I want to tell you all, I want you to know your body and what you did in your body is not a factor. There's no judgments done for the deeds of our body. It's what did you do with Jesus. That's all you need to know when you share the new birth. It's not based on works because who you're dealing with has got plenty of bad works and they are condemned by all of them. So you got to take that off and say, it's not what did you do with the law? It's what did you do with Jesus? 
Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, please. I'm going to wind this thing up. Chapter 2. I want to imprint on you and me how definite and how lined up this is. How there's no ambiguity, there's no hesitation, there's no blurring of the lines. That this new birth, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It absolutely is what the word says, and it's exactly how it happens. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we ought to give the more eatest heed, earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Why? Lest at any time we should let them slip. The Greek word there is to leak out. You can get numb to things, can't you, after a while? Then he explains it. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and it was, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? So here he's telling us that we're not special, that God treats everybody the same. He said, we're not going to let them off. Uh, we're not going to punish them and then let you off. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I, I wrote it down in the Amplified. It says, for if the message given through angels, the law spoken to them by Moses, was authentic and proved sure, and every violation and disobedience received in an appropriate penalty, every, every violation, received an appropriate penalty, how then now shall we escape appropriate retribution if we neglect and refuse to pay attention to such a great salvation as is now offered to us, letting it drift past us forever? The, the Passion says, then how would we expect to escape punishment if we despise the very truths that give us life? So Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. The word is true here in Hebrews. The word is true there in John. He came to give us life and he gave us life. We have the very life nature, the very essence the very issue of God himself. You can't even get your head around this. Down in us. Old things passed away, were destroyed, annihilated, taken out of the way. And behold, all things through this Zoe life have become new. We're completely different. And just like in death, our body is not a factor to where we go what happens to us, our body and what we did in our body is not a factor. Say it with me, not a factor. Oh, come on. Not a factor. Well, if you knew what I did, you'd, you wouldn't say that. Not a factor. What did you do with Jesus? Well, I was eight-year-olds when I did with him, and then I, I, I slipped around and did this and the other. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a terrible testimony. And it degrades the testimony that we have in the Lord. And it's wrong 
that we should not continue with what happened. That's what he's saying here. There's going to be a cost, a cost for getting born again and not living a life commensurate with that. I have come that you might have life and you poofed it off. You, you ignored it. But you're still my son. We're not going to even think about it, though. What, however the Lord does with other people, what, what difference does it make? I just got to, I, I, it's me. I'm, I'm on me. You're on you. And what he does with other people, we're just, we're just not going to speculate and say, well, you know, they crossed the line. I could be. But we don't know. We, I said that we don't know. We have, we have evidence in the word that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We have a Colossians chapter one. We'll get this laid this morning and then we'll come in here and we'll build on it to where we're going. In chapter one, it talks about this very thing that's in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he talks about it again in Colossians. And he talks about how new this is and how different this is and what a change there is from other religions, so-called faith-based places. He said in verse 25, Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you, for you. I'm a minister for you. You're a minister for me. We're ministers for each other. That's where. Did Brand say amen? amen. Yeah. Oh, she did. I was just kidding. <laughs> to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, the hidden thing, the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, and now is made manifest, it's now revealed to his saints. What is the mystery that's been revealed to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? A change from the Jews, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's first person that Christ in me, the hope of glory. Again, Christ in me, the hope of glory, the truth that sets you free is that Christ is in me. He's not over there judging. He's not over there looking down. He's not over there making decisions, making criticisms and condemnations. He's in me. He's joined himself to me. He's one with me. He's united with me. What Zoe does for the believer is he makes us new, the, the Zoe life makes us new creations, new beings. Zoe makes us one with the Lord Jesus. It's the only thing. Zoe delivers us from Satan's dominion. When you got the life of God in you, he can't touch you. We're sealed. Zoe makes us more than conquerors. Zoe makes us partakers of God's ability. Holy Ghost ministers that. Zoe causes us to always be victorious in him. The life in us. Z uh, it causes you, Zoe causes us to walk in divine health. 
Amen. When you know the truth, the truth sets you free. Free from what? Free from sickness. What truth do we know? That Zoe, the life of God, has been set in me undeniably. Not just a little dab, not just some. I have the full measure of Christ in me. And I'm full of God. Well, sickness can't touch that. Why would anybody be sick that's in the kingdom? Because they don't know the truth. Did you hear me? It's just because we don't know the truth. Well, I know the truth. I know by his stripes we were healed. I know. No, you don't. No, we don't. I mean, I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying if someone is struggling with it, it's, they're not struggling with sickness. They're struggling with the truth that the life of God is in me. It's in me. And what's in me repels what's wanting to get in me. Amen. I like this scripture in Romans, and I'm going to quit in chapter 13, verse 13. It says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. Isn't that interesting that he would tell the church at Rome? Y'all settle down. No more rioting, no more drunkenness. I mean, it's like gossip maybe, or maybe not in chambering, whatever that is, in wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. So the cure for that is to put him on. Put him on. Who am I? I'm a new creature in Christ. So when I put him on, I put off the envying and the strife. The passion says, excuse me, the Amplified says, but clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. The passion says, fully immerse yourselves into the Lord Jesus and don't even waste a moment's thought on your former identity. That's my new, that's my new thing is that verse in the passion. Fully immerse yourself into the Lord Jesus. Ah, who is it that says, don't put, don't, don't put yourself in the church. You are the church. Church is your life. Who says that? The church is our life. Because this is where the Zoe is together. We come together and we are like, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. You're like me. We've got the Zoe life of God in us. We're fixing to go out into the world and who knows what's out there. But we have the Zoe life of God. And we're going to put on the Lord Jesus. So that's what we're doing. We're putting on the Lord Jesus. We're putting him on in every way. We're going to know the truth that sets us free. We're going to put him on. We're going to put on the truth. I am the way, the truth. We're going to put on the Lord Jesus. We're going to put on the truth. And we're going to be free. Free. One thing that River Church has failed to do, we're on it, but we hadn't done it, is that we have a superior gospel, we have a superior doctrine, but we haven't made it work. We haven't demonstrated what we are and what we know and what we have. But that changes. We're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to come alive. 
we're going to prophesy the future to people and it's going to change their life. We're going to put on who we are and impart what we have. So, Father, I thank you right now for a move of God, a move of God in River Church. We thank you, Lord, that everything is different. We have a declaration of revival in Tuscaloosa and we are going to spread it from here out. Thank you for giving us the tools to fix our world, to win in our world. Thank you, Lord, for giving us revelation that we see it so we can seize it. And we change today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.